Christians who have received the life of Jesus Christ by confessing that name in faith. May we desire for others to receive this gift of life in return. Lord, help us to be intentional to reach out to those in our lives that we know are struggling. Perform many further works in their lives so that you can speak truth into their hearts in the hope that one day they will come to know your Savior and Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of gathering in your house this morning. May our worship be pleasing and acceptable. Remove all distractions from our minds and open our hearts to your truth. May all glory, honor, and praise belong to your name. Amen. We're continuing to think about who is your one. I challenge you. Challenge to be thinking of someone you know in your life, a friend, a family member, a co-worker, whoever it might be, that the Lord should lay on your heart that you have a concern for their salvation. And that God would give you the opportunity, the grace, and the words to say to be able to witness to them about salvation. And these, this little sermon series on evangelism is to give you the confidence and the reminder that the gospel is the power of God to salvation, that it was enough to save you and change your life. It is enough to save them. And so this morning, as we look at Romans 1, 16 through 20, I want you to think about the person you're supposed to tell about Jesus. And I say supposed to because it's not just me challenging you to share your faith, but it is the Lord himself who is telling you that he's given to you a commission to share your faith. And what has prevented you from speaking to them about salvation thus far? What has kept you silent in the matter if you have been Paul tells us this morning that we ought not be ashamed of the gospel he says in verse 14 that he is a debtor or that he is obligated to both Greeks and barbarians to teach them the gospel that means everybody Paul felt an obligation to share the gospel 
everywhere he went. And in fact, he was excited to be able to go to Rome to preach the gospel there also. And that's what leads him in saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed to tell Greeks. I'm not ashamed to tell barbarians. That means people who aren't Greeks, people who don't speak Greek. I'm not ashamed to speak to them about the salvation that is found only in Christ alone. So ask yourself this question. If Paul is, feels obligated or that he is a debtor, he owes them, if he feels that he is a debtor to share the gospel, how do you feel your obligation towards others, your fellow man, your fellow women, about the gospel? Do you feel obligated? Do you feel that you are a debtor toward them to share with them the news that you have? And we do have an obligation. And so we want to talk about this morning some reasons you might be ashamed to share the gospel. Are you afraid that it won't work? That you'll share the gospel with your friend, your family member, your co-worker, and that they won't be saved and therefore it will fail? Are you afraid that it won't work when you speak to them and that somehow... If you speak to them about the gospel and it doesn't work, that you will make matters worse. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning, you cannot make matters worse for someone who is outside of Christ. You cannot make matters worse for them because they are headed for the wrath of God, as we will talk about in a moment. So maybe you're afraid that the gospel won't work or that it's not powerful enough to change them. And that is just self-deception. Because if the gospel was powerful enough to change you it's powerful enough to change them because there is no difference between you and them with regards to separation from God it takes a miracle and the way that this miracle comes to pass is by the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ so maybe you're afraid it's not powerful enough or that you're not eloquent enough to convince them it's not a matter of your convincing power it's a matter of the gospel itself going into someone's heart and that powerful gospel changing them it has nothing to do with your eloquence. Paul says that when he went to preach the gospel at one church, he didn't come with great eloquence or wisdom, but he came broken. He was in sickness. He shared the gospel with them, and they came to Christ regardless of his condition. Maybe the shame comes from inside. Maybe it's not doubting the power of the gospel or doubting them, but you are ashamed because you feel maybe you're afraid to lose a friend. Or maybe you just don't do well. And I think, honestly, if I had to diagnose most of us, Americans, in general, our culture, maybe you just don't do well with intimacy. And what I mean by that is we spend our time avoiding important conversations with friends and family. We don't want to talk to people about things that are really close to the heart. We're afraid to get there. And so it could be that you're afraid what's going to happen when I start sharing the gospel with this person. And they come back, hey, I'm already a Christian. And now then you've got to say, well, why did I feel the, the, the need to share with them if they think that they're already a Christian? And you have to say hard things like, I know that you say you're a Christian or that you were raised in church, but I'm still concerned for your soul because of these things I believe. Maybe we're afraid to actually have real conversations with people about things that actually matter. We just want to walk through the world with blinders on and sort of repeat the mantra, I'm okay, you're okay, I'm okay, you're okay. okay. Even if we know it's not true. Maybe that's what we're afraid of. We have Q 
keep things in the shallow end of relationships and we are trained to avoid real matters of the heart. And we are defensive about private matters. And so we feel maybe we're going to overstep our boundaries if we share our faith with others. But you've got to understand, these people are going to die and they're going to face the wrath of God. So Paul says for us today not to be ashamed because the gospel is not something to be ashamed of. Because if we're ashamed of the gospel, that means we're ashamed of the Savior who bought us with his blood and rose from the dead. He is the gospel. Jesus is the good news. And so to be ashamed of the gospel would be to be ashamed of him. We are no better than Peter standing around the fire denying Jesus three times if we cannot speak the gospel. And Paul says here that we should not be ashamed of the gospel or that he's not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And I think it's a very fair question and worth contemplating before we talk about the gospel being the power of God and salvation, what are people needing to be saved from? What are people needing to be saved from? Verse 18 tells us that the thing that the people need to be saved from is God's wrath. Verse 18 says that for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness. This is what people need to be saved from is God's wrath. It may be obvious, you may have thought of that, that this is what people need to be saved from, but that's not always how we talk about the gospel or even really how we think about it. Romans 2.5 tells us, Because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. There is no doubt that the thing your friend, your family member, your co-worker needs to be saved from is God's wrath. That is what they need to be saved from. But I'll keep saying that. Because a lot of times we talk about it like this, people need to be saved from their sin. People need to be saved from their sin. And that's true, but that's not the primary thing they need to be saved from. The thing they need to be saved from is God's wrath. And when I say they need to be saved from their sin, we think about it like this. If you have every single person in this room, I guarantee you has been touched in their life by someone who has struggled with the power of addiction, and you think they need to come to Jesus because what they need to do is get over their addiction. They need to get off drugs. They need to turn their life around. They need to start being a better father. They need to start being a better mother. They need to start uh, doing better and stop wasting their money, their time, their life on this addiction. They need to come to Jesus. I want to tell you today, their addiction is not what they need to be saved from. They need to be saved from the wrath of God. Because anything that stops when you die is not your real problem. Because when you die, you wake up in the presence of God, and that is when you're in danger of the second death that you can never escape from. Now, I am not saying, don't misunderstand me, that people don't need to get off their addictions, that people don't need to be saved from sin, that they don't need to get over their sinfulness, but these are things which we will deal with the entire time we are on planet Earth. Our main problem is this, that the wrath of God burns hot against those who reject Jesus Christ, and if they do not repent and believe in Him, they will face everlasting condemnation and separation from God, His wrath. Hell is not an accident. It is not a place that God was walking around one day and looked and said, oh, there's a hot place, I'll put the sinners there. He made that place for the punishment of the unrighteousness, unrighteous people, and he owns that place. Hell reflects the nature of God and his anger against rebellion, against what is good. That's what hell is. 
And that's what people need to be saved from. So when we think, oh, this is going to hurt my friendship, I might make things worse, I'm not going to say this right. The bus of judgment is coming and our friends are standing in the street. And the only thing between them and the wrath of God is Jesus Christ. The thing that you're one, you're thinking about, what they really need to worry about is the wrath of God that's coming. Judgment cannot be avoided. We cannot hide from God. There is nowhere to go. And that's what I think that Paul means when he says the gospel is the power of God to salvation. We think about the power of God in creation. He spoke and everything was made and raw energy or something the, being the power of God. But when the apostle Paul says that the gospel is the power of God to salvation, I want you to think about it like this. We have an all-powerful, almighty, wrathful God who is angry with sin. He's angry about sin. What can deliver you from an angry, all-powerful, almighty God? What has the power to deliver you from that? When Paul says that the gospel is the power of God and salvation, it means the only thing that can overcome the wrath of God and deliver people from that wrath is the gospel. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. So if we have the omnipotent, all-powerful, mighty wrath of God and a hot hell where people are going to go, the only thing that can stop it is the gospel. That's the power of God. There is nothing else that can deliver them. There is nothing else that can overcome the wrath of God. There is nothing else that can stop this judgment. There is nothing else that can make a guilty person innocent. There is nothing else that can make an unrighteous person righteous. There is nothing else that has a power to make someone who is unholy holy. There is nothing else that can take someone separated from God and make them in the family of God. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. It is the only thing that can overcome these things. The only thing stands between your friend and hell is Jesus. There's a story about Jesus. You can read it in Mark 4, 35 through 41. He's asleep. The only time Jesus ever got to sleep in any of the Gospels, and they woke him up. He's asleep. There's a massive storm. And these guys are fishermen. And the Bible says it's a great squall blew in in some translations. It's a very terrible storm, Mediterranean, and it was so bad that these fishermen were afraid they were going to die. They knew what these storms were like. And the Bible says their, their boat was about to be capsized. Jesus was asleep in the stern on a pillow. And they come up to Jesus and they wake him up and say, Lord, do you not care that we're about to die? And Jesus got up. It doesn't describe how he said it or what he said or how he's standing up in the boat, but I would like to see this moment because he says, Silence! Be still. And the whole storm just goes quiet. And preachers like to take that and say, Jesus will calm the storm in your life. He'll get in the middle of that storm and he'll say, Silence, be still, and it'll stop. <laughs> well, that's true. But what it means is this. Jesus Christ has all the power in the world 
he can stop it. And, and I was thinking about death. I mean, he saved him from death. That's the point. But when he gets up and after he silences the storm, he tells it to be quiet. He looks at the disciples and he says, oh, ye of little faith, why are you still afraid? And I thought about that, and, you know, we read that and we think, well, what he meant was, didn't they know since they were with Jesus they weren't going to die? He wasn't going to let them die. That's not true. I don't think that's true. People go with Jesus all the time, and they die. Jesus saying, why are you so afraid that you're going to die? What did he say to Martha and Mary at the tomb of Lazarus? Martha, do you not understand that I am the resurrection and the life, and if you believe in me, he who dies will live again. Why are you afraid you're going to drown in those things? I'll come get you. That's what Jesus meant. What are you afraid of? We should not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. wherever we are he will come get us the Bible says at the end of time that the sea will give up her dead no one drowned in the bottom of the ocean will escape the notice of God no matter where we are the Lord God will gather us together Jesus woke up said silence be still and it happened and it is not an allegory to teach us that Jesus can simply calm the storms of our lives it is, an it is a lesson that teaches we don't need to be afraid to die we don't need to be afraid of anything. The only stand, thing that stands between your friend and the only thing that stands between us and annihilation and eternal judgment of God is Jesus. The only thing that keeps us from the wrath of God is the Lord. And so we think about our people, our friends, those we love, those we care about. And what they do, and it doesn't seem, we, we sort of think, well, maybe it's not that big of a deal. I'm not real sure. Well, if you're not real sure, talk to them about the Lord. Share your faith with them. See if they're really on board with Jesus. Maybe they've fallen away. Maybe they've never been saved in the first place from the wrath of God. But don't keep ignoring it as if it's inconsequential or that their sin is no big deal because it is. The Bible says here, as we just read earlier, that from for his invisible attributes, in verse 20, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. There is no excuse for not repenting of sin and trusting in Christ. There is no excuse for acting like we don't know that something is wrong. And your friend, your co-worker, whoever it is, has spent their entire life outside of Christ trying to convince themselves that the nagging doubt that they have in the deep-seated feeling that something is wrong, that that is a false alarm in their heart. And they spend their entire days trying to justify themselves through what they've done and what the culture tells them. We use these things. We sear our conscience as if we're doing it with a hot iron so that we won't pay attention to the conscience that says... Something is wrong. We try to drown it with work. We try to drown it with pleasure. We try to drown it with our hobbies, our friendships, our marriages. We cover 
what's wrong inside with all these things, and yet always there is that still small voice that says something is wrong. Our friends who are lost are not misguided. They're rebels. And their rebellion is futile. The Lord is coming to judge. He could come today. And where will they be? And so the question becomes today, will we stand in the gap for them? Will we risk our relationships for their sake? Will we risk embarrassment for their sake? Because you may speak the gospel to them and they may leave angry or say, I can't believe that they would say that to me or they don't think I'm a good person or what does this mean that they think about me? Here's what it means. The wrath of God is coming. I'm worried about you. I'm worried about everybody. I'm worried from your lifestyle or the things that you say or how you live or where the kingdom is in, in, in the importance on your priority list that maybe you don't understand what is at stake here. We, we look at things like the Holocaust with righteous uh, indignation. Millions of people murdered. It's horrible. We think about the things the Khmer Rouge did, murdering millions of people. Horrible. Rwanda genocide, horrible. Millions of people died. Every single day, every single moment, Thousands of people are dropping into eternity. It's more serious than any war that has ever been. Every day, thousands of people are coming face to face with a creator they don't know, whom they have been in rebellion against their entire lives. There is nothing more serious than that. And we waste our time with stuff that doesn't matter. We are here on a rescue mission. We are not here on a pleasure cruise. When we're done and we're in heaven, then we vacation for 50 billion years. But here and now, we're rescuing people. We are the ones who are given the badge of ambassador to say, this place is dying. You're going to meet eternal judgment. We're separated from the Creator. We've fallen from Eden. The world is broken. Stop ignoring it. Come to Jesus before it is too late. And when you're in Jesus, act like it's important. If not, we slowly become inoculated to the things of this world. And we live in a dream. The Bible says, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. Christ is shining. Out in our, we got we we make this sort of commentary all the time that there's eighty churches or whatever in Albertville. We got so many churches. We don't have enough. We don't have enough churches in Albertville because if half the people who were not in church this morning, just half our city woke up under the conviction of God and went to a church, we couldn't fit them all in all the churches we have. That's the lostness of this city in this place in the Bible Belt. 
It's not okay out there. Our city's not okay. It's not okay. It is full of hate and envy and violence and slander and people who are far from God and they're meditating themselves this morning on a boat in Gunnersville Lake, drinking beers, listening to tunes and thinking I'm okay. And they're not. And their life is a vapor and one day they will give an account for their soul. What are we doing? When Christ returns and we are caught up into glory and we see the, the grandeur of heaven and the beauty of the temple not made with hands and the billions of people crying out, Holy is the Lord God Almighty, and all creation is shaken with the beauty of it. And we think, I do not have the courage to tell my neighbor about Jesus and what he means. I've spent more time and more energy doing my favorite thing of investing my energy in the kingdom of God. Thinking about how what I do affects those who are outside of Christ. As you go, remember the power of the gospel. Not asking you to save Albertville. If you can, I wish you would do it. <laughs> Just one person. Go get them. Intercede for them. I pray that God gets you so burdened about it you can't rest until you speak to them about salvation or struggle to bear the cross. Father, we pray this morning that you will help us, God, to be good stewards of your gospel. Help us not to be ashamed of Jesus and his power. Help us to understand that he is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes that he is the only thing that can overcome the wrath to come, the only thing that can deliver us from judgment. He himself, his crucifixion for sinners, his resurrection for our justification is the only thing that can save and deliver from hell. Lord, help us not to be distracted by worldly things. Help us to love you with all of our might and help us to strategize about how we will rescue and bring with us as many as we can. Father, give Jesus what is his due. Give him his people. Give him his praise. We ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. If you'll stand, we're going to...